Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. So this morning is a little bit different format. I've got people who are going to share their stories. So Melissa, Calvin, Dustin, and Brianne, would you come to the stage this morning? Would you give them a hand as they approach the stage today? They're going to share their story today. Tell uh, Brianne's already grabbed tissues. We know where this is headed. So uh uh, Dustin's grabbing some too, so uh, come on up here and have a have a seat there. Good to have you guys this morning. So we do this from time to time because uh, sermons are great, series are great, but you know uh, sometimes when you hear the story, I mean, you look out here and you see people and you don't know the stories where they've been and what's gone on in their lives, and uh, so we want to uh, just kind of tell their story a little bit. Calvin, we'll start with you, Dustin. If you'll hand him, uh, hand him that microphone this morning. So, Calvin, thanks for uh, sharing your story today. So, tell us a little bit where are you from originally, and kind of what what's going on in your life right now. Well, actually, uh, I'm from Miami. I was born in Miami, and area of Miami called Overtown. And I grew up in a section of Miami called Liberty City and um, spent uh, all of my uh, school days there in elementary school, middle school, and senior high school uh, in the city of Miami. Does that mean you're a U fan? (laughs) (laughs) Heat, Miami heat. Miami heat, okay. Yes. He's a wise man, isn't he? He's a wise man, so that's good. Calvin, tell us a little bit about your home life, like how you were raised, uh, your family, like when you were a kid, teenager, in church, out of church. What, what yes, was that like I, for uh, I was born in a family I was, uh, that was a Christian family. And um, I have four siblings. I'm the uh, youngest of five kids in the family. Uh, my mom and dad originally were from Georgia, and uh, they married and moved into the Miami area. Uh, my father uh, was a uh, self-made businessman. He had a, um, a business as a, a landscaper. My mother was a, a nurse aide. And so um, my family was very close-knit. My father was a real strong disciplinarian, and especially with his three boys. And uh, I grew up there uh, knowing that what dad said, that was the law. He laid down the law and we followed, (laughs) no questions asked. Uh, But we grew up in church and we knew that every Sunday you were gonna be in church and uh, on um, Sunday nights, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, you know, church. You might remember those days, Sunday morning, Sunday night, (laughs) Sunday school, you went to a lunch or dinner before. Remember those days when we did the Sabbath with no rest? Do you remember that? So we know what you're talking about. But anyway, I had a, uh, I had a, had a great uh, childhood growing up. I always um, found that it was very difficult during the school days because after school, uh, it was homework. And then on the weekends, where well, all of my friends were out having a good time playing ball and, and doing whatever, my father had his three boys that we're on the truck with him going to work. 
Okay. So you learned landscaping. Oh, did I ever. Yeah. And if people I, out here need an extra hand for landscaping, they can... I hated it then, but I've, <laughs> I've come to find it uh, very, very refreshing now to get out in the yard and do some work and see the fruit of your labor. All right. So if you want to refresh him, you need to call him and he can help you. So, Calvin, um, when you got out of high school, tell us a little bit about, about your life at that point. Yeah, I graduated high school in uh, Miami and really uh, didn't have a whole lot of direction for my life as to what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go, so I decided, uh, following the footsteps of my older brother, to go into the Air Force. And so I did that with a, a focus on maybe traveling, going around, seeing places, because that was the lure. He told me, man, you get a chance to travel, you get a chance to fly all over the world, you, you really enjoy yourself. What I didn't realize is that, that during the time that I was going into the service, we were in a crisis in Vietnam, you know, and so I joined the Air Force thinking, well, you know, they're not boots on the ground. So I joined the Air Force, uh, and um, one of my first assignments was to uh, go to Turkey. And I spent a year over in Turkey, and it was, uh, it was quite interesting. In fact, uh, really got to see a lot of the, uh, the country and was just uh, excited about being over there. Um, however, uh, following that assignment, I was sent to uh, Montana, Great Falls, Montana. And that was good for a while, for the summer and the, uh, the fall months. And, and then I found out that coming from Miami, Florida, you didn't want to be in Montana in the winter. <laughs> that particular winter that I was there, in the, uh, out in the wheat fields where I worked, the wind chill was between 50 and 60 below. And I had never seen the likes of anything like that. So I actually found an address and a name of a chief master sergeant at Randolph Air Force Base in personnel, and I wrote him a letter, and I requested to go to Vietnam. <laughs> How cold? How cold does it have to be to request to go to a war zone? And, and, and it, it was about three months later that I did get an assignment. Uh, actually, um, I kind of felt bad for my mom at the time because both of my brothers were in Vietnam at the time. One was in the Air Force in Vietnam and the other was in the Army. And I was surprised that they gave me an assignment. But the assignment they gave me, I got stationed at a base at um, uh, just outside of... Uh, Cambodia and Laos in the upper section of Thailand. And so I was there for a year. I had gotten an assignment in the Air Force as a uh, uh, military police. I went into the Air Force because my recruiter told me that whatever you ask for, you'll get it, guy. You know, so I said, okay, I want to be an air traffic controller. I asked to be an air traffic controller only to find out that the needs of the Air Force during a crisis came first. And as opposed to that, they had a need for military police. And so I became a military police officer in the, uh, in, in the Air Force. Wow. Let's thank him for our service, for service to our country. We appreciate that, especially during that time. Especially during that time. So, Calvin, let's, let's start your journey to faith, your journey to Christ at that particular time. What was kind of going on in your life? Well, like I said, I was in a Christian family. And I, um, I had asked the Lord into my life 
early on as a teenager. That lasted until I joined the Air Force. <laughs> and I say it, it as far as I could tell. But the Lord was always working in my life. My mother, my father, you know, they were constantly praying for their children. But anyway, I got into uh, a lot of things that you would not expect to see from a Christian young man. And it really took my life into a direction that I really uh, didn't want to go. But I ended up uh, always finding my way back, asking for forgiveness, praying. I felt a lure that I needed to be in the presence of the Lord. And whenever I had an opportunity, I would go to church. But the thing is, is that I was always uh, moving in a direction, that, being drawn by various temptations. That hurt me a lot when I was a, uh, a young man. Yeah. I, w- I would say, too, as a parent, the importance of raising your kids in church, even though he's away from faith, living in a way that seed of what was planted in his heart as a child never left him. Mom and dad, be faithful. Keep them in church. Pray over them. Love them. Train up a child in the way that they would go when they're old. They won't depart from it. You'll haunt them forever, okay? So, Calvin, how did it, like, practically, when was the time that the light bulb kind of came on, that you really kind of surrendered to, to the Lord and, and what's kind of in, in this relationship that you're in now with him? Yes, I, I, I came back to the Lord after leaving the Air Force, coming back to the uh, city of Miami, where I um, took a job as a uh, city of Miami police officer. Didn't want to be a police officer. I had done those years in the military as military police, and I had other things in mind, but my brother was a police officer in the city of Miami, or actually in Metro Dade County. And he told me, man, you need to do this. You already got the background as a police officer. You need to do this. He said, man, I go out and I work every day, and I get paid $10,000 a year. I said, man, that's great. I mean... (laughs) He said, yeah, you can't find anything better. So I joined the Miami Police Department, and uh, I was on the Miami Police Department for uh, a a few years, and uh, at the time, I was uh, not living for Christ as I should have, and uh, I had a girlfriend, and she and I uh, went to visit my relatives, my sister and her husband, who lived in New Orleans at the time. My eyes were set on going to uh, Bourbon Street and the French Quarters, you know, I couldn't wait to get there. When I got out there in New Orleans, my sister and her husband, um, they were Christians. They had a Bible study that they had organized and was called Bold Witnesses for Jesus Christ. And my girlfriend and I, we got out there and we decided, okay, so we're going to Bourbon Street. They said, well, we'll drop you off, but we have a Wednesday night Bible study. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll be back to pick you up. I said, ah, we'll go with you. We went with them, and that night, long story short, I rededicated my life to the Lord, and I felt a resurgence of the Holy Spirit that I had never felt before. And from that point, my girlfriend and I actually went back to Miami, and we started a Bible study group with the youth in the neighborhood, and led a lot of them to the Lord as well. That's great. That's great. That's great. That's great. So we dumped that girlfriend and eventually got Carmela over here. So uh, we yeah. won't go there, but we just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, actually, that was part of a greater blessing that the Lord uh, opened my eyes to. Because I'm in church on a New Year's Eve. 
and in walked uh, what I thought at that point was an angel. <laughs> <laughs> I, later, I later found out that she wasn't an angel. But <laughs> she, kinda like, she was kind of like a distant cousin to an angel. <laughs> He's buried himself up here now. Watch him dig out. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we, um, long story short, that's when I met my current wife. And we, uh, we met, we uh, dated a couple of times, and then I, I just felt in my heart that the Lord was directing me in a different direction. Uh, the girlfriend issue was long over, and so when I met Carmela, uh, we dated for about a year, and we, uh, we married in Miami, and uh, the Lord set us on a different path. An influential path that drew both of us closer to him. I came to find out that Carmela, having been a part um, uh, from a Christian household, the Lord had dealt with her heart, and she had a strong faith like never before. One of the things that I found out about her early on, even during our dating years, is that um, she had been given a life sentence of uh, 10 years to live by a cardiologist who said her heart was in such poor condition, she, would, she had about 10 years to live. I could not understand that. I loved this girl, and, and it didn't matter. I, 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 if it was just 10 years, I wanted to spend my 10 years with her. And long story That's short. touching, isn't it? Wow. At the end of that 10-year period with a cardiologist, we saw at least three cardiologists, and each one said she'll never make it through a pregnancy. If she ever gets pregnant, she's going to die. And we can't give her, you know, a whole lot of hope with the heart she has now. So on that 10th year, the 28th birthday, Carmela's 28th birthday, instead of dying, she gave birth to our first child. Amen. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And so, praise God. I mean, uh, so now, four kids later, yeah. you know. Yeah, there and, you go. And, and, and no heart surgery, nothing. Yeah, that's great. Praise other than, God. Praise God. Other than what God promised her, she Amen. is still going strong. And I just praise Amen. God for what he did. You started out as a police officer. I uh, worked with the uh, Miami Police Department. Tell them where you wound up. Yeah, I started as a police officer, and I was a police officer for the first 11 years I was a police officer. After about two years of marriage to Carmela, Carmela would always tell me, listen, God has more for you than being a police officer. Why are you satisfied with being a police officer? I said, well, you know, that's what I signed up for, and I'm okay. She said, no, 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 no. God has more for you than being a police officer. What's the next position? I said, well, the next position is sergeant, you know, but I'm okay. She said, no, you're not. And so we prayed on that. And the first opportunity to take the test at that point, it's after 11 years, I took the test, passed it, became a sergeant. As time progressed, Carmela asked the same question. What's next? Lieutenant. What's after that? Captain. What's that? Every position that was available, I took the test. We prayed. I passed it. For the first 11 years, I was a police officer. For the nine years after that, I went from police officer to sergeant to lieutenant to major to assistant chief and finally to chief, chief of police. Chief of police, Miami. Yeah. How long did you serve there? I uh, served as the chief of police for right at four years. Yeah. And from there, I got a call from uh, 
governor at the time to Governor Childs to head up the Florida Department of Juvenile Justice for the state yeah. of Florida. That's what brought me to Tallahassee. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's, amen. Amen. God's blessed every part of your life. Yes, he has. As you look back now, what would you say to young men who were kind of out of college, they're young adults trying to find their way as far as faith in that kind of uncertain part of your life? You're not married. You're trying to figure out your vocation. What would you say to them? I, would, I, I, I wish someone had asked me that question or had given me some advice when I was uh, early on in my life. I would, have, I would have avoided a lot of pitfalls and a lot of wrong turns. But I think that the one thing that jumps out at me is the fact that, you know, the scripture tells us in Psalms uh, 139, uh, 16, it reminds us that all every day of our lives are already written in his book before one day came to pass. And if, we would, if they would take that into consideration and say, look, you know, um, I, I just don't know what to do or what, what, what direction to go in my life. Why not ask and consult the creator and consulting the creator as to what your life, what turns your life should take or what directions you should go will be the best decision that anyone can make. Yeah. Young man, here's an example before you. A guy was kind of uncertain when he came out of uh, adult life, but you've seen God bless his life, his home, his family, vocation, every part of that. He's a great testimony for you this morning. Calvin, thank you for sharing your story. Brianne. Look at Brianne. All right. Brianne, thanks for uh, sharing your story with us this morning. Tell us where you're from originally and what you're kind of doing right now. Uh, I'm from Fort Lauderdale, and I'm a fourth grade reading teacher. At Rudiger? At Rudiger, Okay, yes. you got to give the Rudiger a shout out. So, uh, <laughs> Brianne, take a moment. Tell us a little bit about kind of your home life as you were a child, teenager. Were you in church, out of church? What was your kind of religious formation there? Um, I was raised by a single mom. I have two siblings that I was also raised with. Um, I didn't have a relationship with my dad. He moved elsewhere. We went to church on holidays, so we were the holiday Christians. Um, and every time we went to church, there was an altar call. So I thought faith was responding to every altar call. So I've done probably a thousand, it seems like, of <laughs> altar calls. But I didn't have any follow-through. Um, I didn't have anybody who taught me or taught me what to do after you've accepted the Lord. So we just showed up on Christmas, Easter, and whatnot, and I just raised my hand and came to the front every time. Okay, so single mom and just very yeah. kind of minimal when it, uh, church attendance or understanding about the mm -hmm. Lord. Tell us kind of about uh, maybe your teenage years and your, your young adult years. What, what was going on in your life there? Um, well, I started dating Dustin when I was 16, and his family actually was... Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday church, always church. Um, so I really started to learn about my faith and who God is and Christianity by going with them. So most of my 16, 17, 18, those teenage years was really from his family who had brought me to church. Even when uh, we went different places for college, I stayed in South Florida. I still went to church every single Sunday and Wednesday with them. So through that, I kind of learned my faith through his mom. You kind of went through some trials of your own at that particular time, some health issues. Yes. So I was between the age of 18 and 19. Um, I was sick for a year. Um, I dropped like 
30, 40 pounds. I couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, they ch- tried to say it was more my mental health. My boyfriend went away to college. I was here by myself. Um, it took them about a year to figure out that I had Crohn's disease. Um, so through that diagnosis, I was basically on my deathbed. I was about 19, and um, I remember going to the emergency room. Uh, we had to sign every paperwork that we wouldn't sue them because uh, my chest was collapsing and everything, and I was now kind of on my own. I was 19, so nobody could sign all this paperwork except for me. Um, through that, I had to learn what what my faith, what I believed. I remember people praying, but I always piggybacked off of somebody else's faith, um, seeing his mom or his family or somebody else's, but I never had to really stand and face my own till that moment. So I think that's a good point when you're raised in church and that's a blessing. There's a point where you got to stand this and walk on, on your own. There's a stand where you got to own your own faith. you got to own your own relationship with the Lord. When we stand before God, we're not in the shadow of our parents. Everyone has an individual, you know, experience. But also there's a time to, in your own faith, in your own faith journey, that it becomes yours. And, uh, and her sickness, uh, even though it was tough, it really worked its way in discipling and bringing some yeah. depth and some ownership to her own faith. So, Dustin, uh, they're married, and we're going to kind of see how they got together. So, Dustin, we'll start with you, and then we'll come back to you guys. So, uh, where are you from originally? Kind of where do you work now? What's going on in your life? I'm originally from South Florida, Fort Lauderdale area. Um, I work right now for Highway Safety Motor Vehicle in the medical review section, so we make sure the roads stay safe. Um, and we appreciate that. So Yes. Uh, so tell us a little about your home life, uh, and uh, were you, you know, she kind of mentioned you were kind of raised in church, but tell us kind of kind of about your home family dynamic there. Yeah, I grew up in church. Uh, both my parents were present uh, through church, through middle school, but the facade at church is different than home. I can never say this. It's okay. It's okay. So my dad was an alcoholic. So we had everyone at church thought we were the perfect children and all that. We even got compliments that we were so well behaved. But it's because we were walking on eggshells because we knew if we did anything wrong, we had to deal with my dad at the house. So he wasn't always an alcoholic. It was a back and forth, but he had really severe anger issues too. So... There was a lot of emotional and verbal abuse and at times physical, but yeah. yeah. So very very explosive at home, yes. but you go to Sunday, everybody's right. smiling, looking good, and um, so and and that's not an uncommon thing uh, you know, today. So Dustin, that was kind of your formative foundation, but you're going to church, you're hearing like Brianne picked up a lot of things uh, about faith when she was going to church, even though there's some chaos in your life. You're learning some things. So when you get high school, kind of your first years in college, what was going on in your life at that point? All right, let me just backtrack real quick. Um, So I knew there was God. I believed in God. I even felt the Holy Spirit even through middle school. I went to private school, elementary school, middle school, high school. Uh, But when I... During that time, dealing with the stuff from my dad, and I have other siblings, we had to deal with it too. Um, a lot of like anger and rage and bitterness like built up inside me. And 
it didn't come out till later. Yeah. So um, I went to college. I started, uh, obviously, I was introduced to alcohol at a very young age. You so I UCF. Partying. Yeah, yeah. To, I went to UCF. Sorry. Oh. Kind of scatterbrained. Um, <laughs> And partying, drugs, and it was easy for me to get drugs because my people were the drug people. So uh, I started dating Brianne in high school, and then... Uh, and you guys were at separate schools, so I'm just trying to weave your stories together at separate colleges, too. So where, yeah. where were you at, Brianne? Where were you going to school? Um, so during his time of partying... Um, that's when I was going through everything with my right. Crohn's. So I was in South Florida at community college, and he was at UCF. Okay. So. All right. So, so you're there. This, this so I, went to, I would go to school. I did good in school because I was always a good student. But on the breaks and stuff, I would party really hard, do a lot of drugs and stuff. And then eventually that caught up to me because uh, I would do – partying lifestyle all summer long and then come back to school and then eventually I did enough to where I Try ended to up clean in, it back up be a good student yeah I would pattern? cut it off but yeah. then certain drugs you get addicted to so yeah. I uh, started having withdrawal symptoms and ended up in the ER because yeah. of so that. this is kind of your journey to faith so tell them about that uh, back to Christ tell them about that moment kind of in the hospital what was going on with you yeah so I'm just laying there like what the heck am I doing and the ER, and she's actually up there because she had moved up and went to Valencia College. Uh, so she was there with me. But so that was like two years into college. Ended up in the ER at the beginning of the semester. And then my parents actually came up and stayed with me as well. So after that, I started class. And I'm sitting in my engineering class because I was going for aerospace engineering. And I'm like... I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah. So my dad, of all people, is like, well, go pray about it. So I went to church and started praying for, it so must, this is just during must a have been hours. Just during a weekday, you just kind of showed up at a church to, to pray. Yeah, I went into a sanctuary uh, at the church I was going to or knew about and uh, just prayed for a while and felt God calling me to ministry. The Great Commission kept coming into my mind going to all the world and preach the gospel, so I felt a call to missions and stuff. So from there, I went and talked to the pastors of the church um, to figure out what I should do because I'm going to college for aerospace engineering, and that's like opposite of missions. Yeah. So uh, they directed me to Southeastern, and then I, so I ended up going to Southeastern. So let, let, me, let me say again, the power of having your children in church, even in its, when he's wayward, He's in the hospital, he's messed up on drugs, but there was something still in his heart, and here's this guy who finds himself on a weekday driving to the church because there was something that he had been taught, there was seed, even in the midst of an imperfect home environment, there was something still that was landing in his heart that took him to church, and for a life-changing moment, he prays, he comes back to faith, and the Lord, you know, even in that moment, just kind of renews, hey, I'm not just saving you, I've got a purpose for you guys as well. So, Brianne, when you hear what's going on in Dustin's life, what, what, how was your response when he tells you this, and then kind of what was the next phase of you guys' relationship? Um, so, we, I had moved up there to be with him, but the Lord had already clearly spoke to me that we're not supposed to be together. 
um, especially with the choices he was making was not the choices I wanted to make. Um, but I was already, my family left South Florida. I had to go to Orlando. I already enrolled in college, paid for housing, everything. I was miserable. And um, I didn't really like him. And <laughs> <laughs> here I am driving him to the hospital with their drug control. And I really just wanted to, like, I wanted to hurt him at the same time. But I, I shook him there. I called his dad and his parents. And I said, I'm not doing this. We're done. You all need to come up here. Um, so we had taken a break. We, we both figured out we needed to just not be together anymore to figure out what we needed to do. So we, I think, I don't know how long we were apart for, but um, I was in a really dark, deep place. I had a roommates that also did drugs, and I was angry, like, why am I around all this? I just want to get out of this. But in that dark, deep places where I really, again, had to figure out who God was, who did I think God was, and not off of somebody else's story, but my own story. Um, so during our separation, the Lord had really told me, I want you to do education, but I want you to do missions. And we didn't really talk. I didn't really know what was quite going on with him, and I didn't really want to talk to him. So we kept our space. Um, and so then God called me to go to Christian university. So my family is not, was not really church, and they're like, well, we're not paying for any of this. You're going to have to figure this out. So I toured every Christian college I could in Florida, and I stayed away from Southeastern intentionally, knowing that that's where he was going, um, and every one of them was not what God asked me to do. So when I pulled into the parking lot for Southeastern, I just cried, a mixture of just anger, frustration, crying, because this is where I was supposed to be, but this is where he was supposed to be, too. So through that, we, I went to Southeastern. We still didn't get back together for a while. Um, the Lord had called me to missions also. And when we did come back together, we had to really have those hard conversations. And it was the intention of marriage and what the Lord wants us to do with ministry and missions. And yeah, he's called us both to serve overseas in some capacity. Amen. So they, they get married. And then, Dustin, you guys find yourself on the mission field. Just take a moment. Tell them about, about that. Can we back up a second? Yeah, sure, sure. All right. So we were dating since we were 16. At first, we did whatever we wanted to do. And then when God got a hold of us, or we finally said, okay, God, we're done messing around, uh, we cut all that off, and we started over after I went to Southeastern. And from there, we did our relationship according to the Lord of God and what got he it. said. So, and he honored that. Um, okay, so what was the question? Just... Uh... You're, you're, you're married. Well, they're, they're resetting the priorities of their relationship, which are very important. Even when they kind of get out of bounds sometime, you come back to faith. And you go, all right, you know, uh, now we're going to live by God's principles. We're going to put them first. And I'm just telling you, he is a God of grace. He's a God of second chance. He's a God of forgiveness. And uh, you see in the midst of all the chaos of their life, you see what God's going to do in the next step of their life. So you find yourself, both of you, together, you're married, you're unified spiritually, you're unified, you feel a call of God to missions. Tell them where that took you guys. So through some connections at Southeastern, uh, after we had graduated a couple of years, um, there was an AG ministry over in Saipan, which is an island in the middle of the, of the Pacific, uh, it's about 150 miles north of Guam. Um, and they, basically, you can be a tent maker missionary. You go and teach at the school, and they pay you, like, so you can, for food and stuff. And you didn't have to raise funds. 
Uh, so we both went over there, and uh, we did missions in Saipan for a year. We were supposed to be there two years, but I guess Brianne had different plans because she had planned to come back for a baby. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we were over there. We taught in a Christian school, um, and we were able to minister at the several churches they had on the island there. Amen. They, they came back, have a family. We don't know what the next phase of missions and all that looks like, so... Uh, uh, but we celebrate with your story. So, Brianne, what would you say to young ladies who, uh, you're, you know, high school, college, you're single, waiting, waiting on the right person, that kind of uncertainty as far as a young lady's concerned? What would you say to our young ladies? And what did you, what have you learned through your experience? Chase God and not the guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> if I would have done that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> That needs to be on a T-shirt somewhere. So, uh. If I would have done that, I would not have ended up in so much more of the heartache I was in or the choices I had to make. But really, the one verse that God really gave me through all that is just to be still and know that he is God. So there's a lot of times where his voice is more quiet and everyone else's is so much louder. And you have to, I had to shut out family's opinions, friends' opinions, and really to learn to seek and to hear him. Yeah. That's great. Dustin, to those who um, may be living in an imperfect household, maybe there's some addictions, maybe there's some explosiveness uh, in their, their life, it's contentious and full of tension, kind of, what would you uh, say to bring encouragement to people who are living kind of in that, in that moment now? I had to write it down. That's fine. Uh, well, I can speak more specifically to those who have lived in that and have moved out. Uh, it's really tough to talk to to speak to someone's situation that's still in it. Sure. So I would say this, um, like I told you, I had a lot of anger and bitterness and rage that built up in me and affected my relationship with my dad. I actually disowned him at one point when I was in college. Uh, but while I was at Southeastern, God taught me unconditional love. And he healed that relationship with my dad. And um, he restored... Uh, my family, and then he also, my dad's no longer an alcoholic, so he healed that as well. And, That's great. That's great. Um, so this is kind of coming off of that. Um, I would say if you're dealing with those types of emotions, if we hold on to the anger and bitterness and unforgiveness because of the things done to us, we can never walk into the fullness of what God has created for us to do. Um, say, say that again. Say that, that's a great <laughs> sentence. Say it again. Here. Um, if we hold on to the anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness because of the things done to us, we can never walk into the fullness of what God has created for us yeah. to do and be. Yeah. Uh, we need to surrender everything to Christ because in him you will find healing and forgiveness and restoration. And my relationship with my dad is an example of that. Um, and then a little, a little more. We have to let go of the wrongs done to us so that the Holy Spirit can work in us and through us. We're not denying what happened to us, but we surrender to Christ and proclaim that it's not going to define who we are. That's great. That's great. And then once you do that, you're going to find that there is great freedom in living uh, that out through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Amen. Dustin, Brianne, thank you for your transparency. Thank you for sharing your story this morning. <laughs> Melissa, Melissa Hendricks. So, uh, where are you from, Melissa? Coon Bottom. Coon Bottom. Is that a real place? It sure is. You got like street signs and a red light. We got a red light now. Okay. Now. We're uptown. Now. now. So if I look it up on my Google Maps, I'm going to find Coon Bottom. No, it says ah, Concord, see, see. but, it's what? you know, it says Concord, okay. but Coon Bottom's what it's been called for <laughs> hundreds of years, okay. millions. Okay, so <laughs> she's from Coon, Coon Bottom, so, uh, uh, and, and what, what do you do now? What's, what's going on in your life now? Where do you work? I work at Hellsburg Diamonds. I sell diamonds. So, if you need a diamond, come holler at me. I a Memorial you. Day diamond. <laughs> well, not over here. Not over here, but over here. Uh, yes. And, and how long have you been kind of in the jewelry business? Well, that was, I began in the jewelry business in 2003 and four. Then I got pregnant with my beautiful daughter in 2005. And I went from the jewelry business to a job where I could have daycare. Got it. So, it took me from working crazy different hours to literally Monday through Friday. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about your life as a, as a child, kind of your family life. Uh, were you kind of raised in church or not? So, I was raised in church. It was my papa. He's the one that came and picked me up. Every single time the doors were open, if it was open nine, ten times a week, I was there nine or ten <laughs> times a week. And he also drove the church van and went and picked up children who didn't have a way to church. So he was, if it wasn't for him, there's, you know, at least 50 kids that would have never knew God because they wouldn't have had a way to church. So he not only helped me, but helped others in that aspect. And I want to say to every grandparent who's bringing a child to church or aunt or uncle or whatever, I want you to listen to this story because your time is not wasted uh, when, you're, when, you're, when you're doing this. So, so, uh, so your family's not, what, what, like your no. parents? My parents did not go to church. Um, my dad was an alcoholic. He was in the Vietnam War. And... It, when he drank, he became violent. He became, like, crazy. But he's not that man today. Yeah. But that man that he was, I don't think I'll ever be able to get out of my mind because I was terrified of him. I yeah. was so scared. So, uh, like kind of like Dustin's when there was drinking, there was anger. There, there was, was parties, violence. there was fighting. Yeah. He ran over the back of his car with a dump truck. Like, it was yeah. crazy. My childhood was insanity. And my safe place was with my papa. Like, that was my safe place. Um, my mom eventually left my dad for a little bit because she was not a drinker. She was not a partier. I had a mother that... I was blessed to have her. Good. Good. And my daddy, he ended up getting sober for a year. Um, and he went back to drinking, but he doesn't drink liquor, so he's not violent and crazy anymore. But he still has that addiction. But 
if you were to meet him, he's, his heart, that's my best friend. Sure. Like, I talk to him about more stuff than I do sure. anyone else. So, uh, that was kind of your, your, your home life as a child. Tell us kind of about your teenage years and maybe your first years out of, uh, out of high school. So, my childhood and my teenage years, my favorite place to be was church because we had a very active youth group. We had a very active children's ministry, adult, early college ministry. I grew up Southern Baptist, so Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays, and then there was Brotherhood, <laughs> all the other meetings that would happen during the week. Um Forgot where I was going. So. Your, your, in your young adult years after you got out of high school, um, what was... Okay, so I graduated when I was 17. And when I graduated high school, I decided that I was going to move out. I didn't want to be there anymore. I was going to move out. I was going to be on my own. And I, that was not a bright idea for me to do because it's kind of what spiraled me down to where I am today. Um, when I moved out, I began to drink, to party, to do drugs. Um, it was a cycle of death that I was doing on a regular because I wasn't afraid of death. It was kind of like, huh, I'm going home to God. So what am I afraid of? Let's do this. Yeah. That's the mind frame I had at the time. Um, and, and how long did this season, kind of this, uh, heavy, Addictive lifestyle. How how many years did that last? Eighteen to twenty nine. Eighteen to twenty nine. Mm -hmm. So eleven years, and yep. we're talking about really, really kind of hard drugs. Hard drugs. Like I a lot of cocaine. I ended up. One of my friends told me, "Oh, you can save money if you don't go and buy a lot of cocaine and you buy methamphetamines because a little bit will get you just as high as a lot of cocaine." That was the worst mistake of my life. Um, I became addicted to methamphetamines. I was cooking meth. I was selling meth just so I had money to keep myself high every day. Um, I ended up February the 12th, 2012. I lost my home. I lost my car. I lost my daughter. Not by the state. I I gave her willingly to my family, and I was blessed that my Aunt Dee was able to take care of her. So you just kind of bottomed out at this moment? I lost everything. Yeah. I was homeless. I had the clothes on my back, and my family hated me. Yeah. I didn't have anybody. I had me, myself, and I, and thanks to my papa, I had God, and yeah. he never left yeah. me. So what, what was kind of your turn? I mean, this is kind of maybe where your life bottomed out, and then you started this turn toward faith in Christ. What, what, did, that, what did that look like for you? For me, it was slow because I knew where I needed to be, but when I would go to the church I grew up in, I didn't, I didn't feel home. I didn't feel like that's where God meant for me to be. Um, they didn't have any kind of children's ministry anymore uh, because there was no kids in the church. And whenever we started going there, me and my daughter, we ended up getting other children involved with the church. And I was doing the children's ministry there because 
There was none. Sure. Um, we went from... You can't lose. Sorry. It's all right. When was the, the personal turn? Like when the light bulb went on for you, like, and, and you really started your walk of faith that you're, you've been on since then. When, when did that happen for you? So before that happened, I turned 30. My 30th birthday, I got to fight for over eight hours for my life because my cousin bought me a cupcake. So because I got a cupcake for my birthday, I had to literally fight for my life on my 30th birthday. I had to earn it. It was like I had to earn what God already gave me. So it was hard. And I dealt with a lot of depression. I dealt with a lot of anxiety and panic disorder, which I still, I still have that. It hasn't went away completely. Um... And I had completely given up hope. I had completely given up everything. I called my mom and I told her, I was like, come get my daughter. I can't do this anymore. Just come get her. And when she got there, I handed her the social security card and birth certificate of my baby because I hadn't planned on coming back. I'm stunned. I didn't believe in suicide, so I was going to do suicide by a cop, and I was going to make them kill me. I was going to make sure they killed me. I had a gun, too. Um, I decided I was going to walk, and when I started walking, I stopped at a field, and I was like, I'm going to smoke one last cigarette before I do this. One last cigarette. I didn't have a lighter. There was no lighter in my pocket, and all I did was started crying and looked up at the sky. There was thousands, thousands, thousands of sparkles. It was angels. Thousands of angels who came to me. And in that moment, I realized that it wasn't my lighter I left behind. It was my baby that was a fire of my heart and soul that kept me going. I left my fire behind. It was my baby, not a lighter. And in that moment, God told me that he loved me. And it's not time yet. It's not time. You have a purpose. I have a plan. Somebody sent you a Bible? My Aunt Mabel sent me a Bible. She also was in church every time the doors were open. Her and my grandpa lived together after her husband passed away. Um, I asked her for my birthday to please send me a Bible. I didn't have one. I needed one. And she sent me a Bible with my name on it. And she even put a note inside of it telling me how much God loved me and to please read this part. And it was just telling me how no matter no matter how far you get away from God, you're not alone. You're not away from him. He's right there. You think he's gone, but he's not. He's right there with you. That's right. You're never alone. That's right. And I still have spouts of anger and disappointment from everything that I've had to live through because it wasn't just drug abuse. It wasn't just different traumas. Sure. Sure. It's almost like 
if it could happen, it will happen. Bad after bad after bad after bad. And I ask God all the time, why? When is this going to stop? Please, I'm begging you, please just stop. Like, I can't do this anymore. And every time I thought that I couldn't do it, it was like he gave me another boost of strength. Like, here you go. There you go. You got this. Like, go. You got it. I want to brag on her for a moment, too. Like, uh, she had a learning disability in high school. Well, in kindergarten, like I never, in my childhood, I didn't learn how to read until I was in fifth grade. And when she graduated college, she graduated with a 4.0. Amen. She's a a single mom that's had, you know, not the easiest life, but she's doing well vocationally. Her daughter, Summer, graduated high school. Friday. And uh, he truly... He truly gives beauty for ashes. He truly gives beauty for ashes. Uh, Melissa and worship team, you can come. Melissa, uh, maybe there are people out there that have addictive lifestyles, addictive behaviors. They think this is what I, what I am now is what I will always be. I will never get out of this lifestyle. I am a slave to this. What would you say to those individuals this morning? Even when you feel like you're alone and at your lowest. If you cry out to God, He hears you. He hears you before you even get it out of your lungs and your throat. Like, He knew that you were going to holler for Him. He knew that he, you needed Him. And as long as you pray and ask God for help, He's going to help you. You might not like the answer you get. It might not be the answer you wanted, But he's going to give you what you need. When I was homeless, I never went without food, food, because he always provided my needs. When I was doing good, but not really, you know, like I'm, I'm still struggling. Every single need I ever needed, like if my car broke down, I randomly got a weird check in the mail. Oh, I can fix my car. Thank you, God, because I had no idea how I was going to do this. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Like, he's always there in your heart, in your soul. And I just pray that everybody in this room can feel his spirit upon them at least once in their life so they know how good it feels to have God hug you. It's like a big hug from God. And it's amazing. Um, He's not angry with you. He's not mad at you. God demonstrates his love for us that while we were sinners in the worst part of our lives, he died and he remembers. Okay? Amen. He does that. So if you think, you know, God's angry or whatever, he's not. What you're kind of walking through is maybe some of the consequences of your own choices, not necessarily God's judgment. He's a God of forgiveness and restoration. So, uh, well, I want to thank you guys for your transparency here today, telling your telling your stories. Uh, it takes a little courage to do this as well. Your time's coming, so uh, know that. But would you give a hand to our, our group this morning? You guys can be seated. Thank you. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning?
if you're here this morning and the stories, the unique stories that you heard this morning, maybe they touched your life. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm there. I'm walking through that. I've been through that. First of all, any of those that you saw up on the stage, they are available to you to uh, say hello to them. Go, hey, would you pray with me? How did you uh, kind of walk through that? If you need further information, they're not just here to tell their story this morning, but they're here to follow up with you if, uh, if they can help uh, in any way. But uh, just for a moment, every head bow, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've heard something that just kind of touched your heart and uh, maybe uh, maybe you're not where you should be with the Lord or maybe you just need God to do some kind of miracle work in your life. If you're here today and you would just say, Pastor, I am not where I should be. I got some stuff going on that I need to give over to the Lord. Uh, real quick, would you just raise your hand up and down and just say, pray for me this morning. Just pray for me. Thank you. Hey, thanks. I appreciate that. And we're going we're gonna to do that. Uh, and then we're going to sing that, that song again. So if you're here today and, and maybe addictions are holding you and the story resonated with you this morning, maybe, you know, maybe you're the addict, maybe you're the parent that's causing trauma and harm, maybe you're on the other end of that and man, you've got anger, maybe you're an adult and you've got just some anger and bitterness that maybe you've forgotten about and this morning as they were talking, some of that surfaced. I want you to know that God can begin a process of healing and restoration in your in your heart and in your life. Maybe maybe you're like, you know, like Melissa, just think there's no way out. I'm always going to have an addictive behavior. I want you to know I don't believe that. I believe that you can walk in the same liberty and freedom that you saw Dustin and you saw Melissa this morning. I want to just pray this morning. I want to pray over that. We're going to sing that again. So Lord, I pray for this congregation today. Lord, I pray for those who, Lord, they may be struggling with addictive behaviors. They may come to church and go to work and there's the, the, uh, 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 the appearance of everything together, but Lord, on the inside, they know, Lord, they've got an issue. And Lord, I pray, Lord, sometimes hopelessness comes in and they think I'll never be anything. I'll always be known and identified by my addictions and my mistakes. Lord, I pray over that person today. I pray that they would come to you, walk to you, seek your help whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Lord, I pray for those who may be walking and they deal with anger and unforgiveness from things that happened years ago, things in their family life, explosiveness in their home, and they still carry that today. Lord, I pray, Lord, for wholeness and freedom, but Lord, as they begin to release and allow you to bring healing and grace and forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would just, I pray that you would do that work. I pray for every young adult male this morning, every young adult female. Lord, you're the author and the finisher 
of their faith, Lord, you have written a story. You've written a narrative for their life, and they don't have to veer left and right, and Lord, find iniquity and sin, but Lord, you're the author and the finisher. You write the story, and if they're faithful to you, you'll take them down that pathway, and I pray over our young adults today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray for those that that are away from you this morning. Lord, they heard stories of those raised in church. And Lord, they walked far away. Lord, I pray. I pray over that prodigal that's here today. Lord, they can come back home. And there's no judgment. There's not a speech. There's There's not anger. There's only rejoicing in love that they're coming home. And Lord, we pray to that prodigal today and say, come home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to sing that again. If you raised your hand or for any reason this morning, you just feel like you need prayer, if you're struggling with anxiety and depression that was mentioned, maybe some unforgiveness. We, we, want, to, we want to pray over you this morning. Brent, sing, sing that again. I put my faith in Jesus. Let's start with that. Thank you, Lord. 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 If you need prayer this morning, you want to come give some things over to the Lord this morning. Come forward today. If that's you, come. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.